0: All the news, all the time. You are there. In sports, one dead, no man on, no score at the top of the seventh. Update, any city, any time. Some poor fool just died. Film at 11.
1: Welcome to Highlander Rewatch, the podcast where each and every week we talk about a different episode of Highlander. Except this week is a very special episode uh, where we're going to be talking with one of the actresses from the first season of Highlander. Uh, My name is Keith. I'm one of your rewatchers. This is Kyle. This is Eamon. All right. And you may know her from Nightmare on Elm Street as Tina or Fast Times in Ridgemont High as Lisa. But we are here today with the actress who played Randy McFarland in the first season of Highlander, Amanda Wiss. Hi, Amanda.
0: Hi. You pronounced my last name right. Oh, good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah there we go. <laughs> that's a gr- that's very, that's an auspicious beginning. Yay. <laughs> very
2: good. <laughs> <laughs> what percentage of people get it right on the first try, if you had to guess? Five. Wow. Wow.
1: <laughs> right. yes. how, do, right. how do
2: people usually say it?
0: They say weiss, weiss, ice, and some people say west.
1: Well, oh, wow. <laughs> Which I find
0: but mostly say Weiss or Weis, and um, I'm sure that's correct. Possibly somewhere, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, like, you know what? I don't even correct people anymore. Sometimes I do, like if if, if I can. But I'm like Y S S always sounds like abyss. It's just grammar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah. that's good. I'm proud of us that we got it right. I I am,
0: too. I am, too. Smarty pants.
1: (laughs) Why why don't we we start off with, uh, we were wondering, how did you get involved in Highlander?
0: You know what? It was just an audition. And I was so excited because I loved the stories and the movie. I, I love the Highlander. And so when I got to read for that part, I freaked out. And um, but not so badly that I didn't get the role. <laughs> right.
1: Well, that's good. We were we were wondering if you were uh, familiar with the Highlander franchise, and we're actually in the middle of recording our podcast on the movie. Uh, so we should ask you, like, what what did you like about the original Highlander movie?
0: Um, first of all, just in general, I love sci-fi, fantasy, um, supernatural time travel, and so I think all of those things together, you know, I'm drawn to that genre anyway, Mm -hmm. and I'm Irish, I love the Celts, I love men in kilts. (laughs) (laughs) So do we. (laughs) I just love, I love the magic of the story, I just loved the magic of the story, and good versus evil, and, um, and and the gray area there within, and people fighting to survive, and to keep their soul intact, you know, and that connection to your past. I think it's it's romantic. Those are my thoughts. Yeah.
2: So what was the audition process for this like?
0: Honestly, I don't remember. Isn't that terrible? <laughs> I would, I don't remember. I I, rem, I what I do remember it was that it was very easy in the sense that I think that they I could have this totally wrong and Uh, david abramowitz and anybody else involved is like that's not what happened (laughs) but i remember it being really easy like they wanted me that could completely be in my head because i was determined to get this part i was just determined but for you know in reality i could have read for it 10 times but i don't remember that i remember they want me i want it it is done (laughs) awesome
3: that's great and you you auditioned for Randy and you you got the part that's pretty awesome
0: yeah I'm pretty sure that's how it went again it would be funny if somebody else told you that they just offered it to me but I
3: remember
0: (laughs) (laughs) and I just thought it was a good part and I remember thinking nobody else could play this. Like, this is what I want. It just, and it was one of my favorite parts I've ever done.
3: Wow.
2: So, what was kind of the evolution of of this part in terms of, you know, how it was presented to you in the beginning versus how it played out over the course of the first season,
0: it was presented as you know I was supposed to be the thing that made him not safe because I was always prying. Yet you know it was it was good hearted. It wasn't um, no, I wasn't trying to like take him down as a as a human or anything. But it was supposed to make it so that every time I showed up, he's like, God, I just want. I just want to do my job and not have these people trying to expose me. and um, But it was to be kept, you know, like more sort of old-timey banter,
3: you know. Right. Almost like a Cary Grant-type movie thank character you. or something like yes. that. Yeah, I, I don't thank remember, you, like, in Bringing Up Baby, his the actresses yes. that worked with him in those types of movies. But I feel like that yes. relationship kind of comes through that, a little bit there.
0: That... Thank you for saying what was in my brain that was yeah. <laughs> going to come out. That was exactly it.
3: That's great. I, I mean, I think that comes across with you and Duncan or Adrian Paul here. Um, I mean, how was it like working across Adrian Paul?
0: Love him. Loved it, loved working with him. He's a consummate professional. He's a team player. He wanted everything to be good, and it was fun. It was just fun. He's challenging as a, you know, as an actor, so it was fun to bounce off of him, and I don't know, I'm a big admirer of his and how he comports himself on set and in life, and yeah, I think he's he was really, really fun to work with. And all my scenes were with him, basically and you know predominantly and i just loved it love yeah. loved it
1: so so and oh go ahead oh no 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 you got yeah. no go ahead oh, i, gonna I was just going <laughs> to ask you well what was being on set like like uh, could you walk us through maybe like a, a typical day of shooting on Highlander
0: yeah. Um, first of all, it was a really fun crew. We're in Canada. Beautiful people, beautiful locations. And it was fun because at the time, back in that day, there were many things shooting up in Vancouver at that time. And there still are. But And everybody was put up in these same hotel apartments for the most part. So you would see all your friends from Los Angeles up there in various shows and things. So just... You know, even going to the gym or going to the restaurant in the in the hotel apartment complex, you would see all these people. So just that set up a really fun, adventurous, um, and also very safe environment. So you felt really, you know, at home. But the hair and makeup people were amazing. Um, So you'd walk in in the morning. Um, Obviously, you know, you'd have a nice breakfast, (laughs) get in hair and makeup. Um, Adrian would be doing his thing, and we, you know, if we had scenes together, perhaps we'd run lines before we did it. And um, basically, then you just, you know, get in your wardrobe. Um, we got to rehearse, you know, a little bit, and you know, we just, you know, there was there was some joking around. Um, it was a very productive set with good energy. So you know, funny things would happen, and we would giggle between takes and things like that. I just remember it being very creative and productive and fun at the same time. And I think we put out really good material because everybody was in it to win it. You know, there wasn't anybody that showed up not knowing their lines or acting as though it was an imposition to be there. Now, granted, I was there the first season, so everyone was still very eager and excited and, and working really hard, you know, and it was fun. It was fun because they, they wanted it to succeed and it did and i think it's because of that energy of people enjoying what they're doing and working hard at the same time and keeping a sense of humor and uh, that's important
2: was it stressful at all with the show just getting off the the ground at that point we we had the opportunity to speak to david abramowitz a little about this period of the show and he mentioned that you know the showrunners were changing between episodes and it was uh, a pretty hectic time for for the life of highlander did that come through when you were when you were on the set?
0: Oh my gosh. It was such a huge part of my experience because I might have this wrong, but I think it was one of the first big multinational produced TV shows. There was a whole lot of chiefs in the kitchen or cooks at chefs in the kitchen. And there wasn't a consistency and because my character was always in jeopardy. And as everybody knows, it was, I was let go, um, no fault of my own. It was just, there was just too many chefs and, um, everybody wanted something different. And, every sort of producing faction wanted their person to be more important and and um so i think my character was they were like she it was terrible i was it was one of my biggest heartbreaks that they didn't keep my character going and the producers who had not fired me but the the other everybody was very kind about it because they were disappointed i think a lot of people wanted my character to go on but yes that was very stressful because every episode I felt that I was in jeopardy and not because people didn't like what I was doing. I felt like there was a lot of power brokers jockeying for position. (laughs) So there was a lot of that kind of stuff, but I wasn't involved in it day to day because I wasn't on that side of the camera, but I felt it because my character was most at jeopardy.
1: Is there, is there a direction you wish your character could have gone in uh, if you were around for longer? Yes,
0: I do. Okay. Because obviously it couldn't have just been Randy McFarland picking at the Highlander, like, trying to uncover it eventually, I always thought it would be cool if Randy knew the whole truth, but chose not to expose it, but then went off, and, like, she left journalism, but, like, wrote books about it or something like that, (laughs) and was still in his life, and would, would, like, talk about his antiquities and his, you know, the, the things that she knew through their relationship and that he sort of admired and felt like he liked that, that he felt like it kept him safe, but somebody was telling his story. So I always thought that would have been a really neat kind of side thing that they formed a, a unique friendship that, and that perhaps through her knowing so much about him, she could help him solve some things or take care of some things, and they would have like a unique gal Friday kind of thing. <laughs> I don't know. I would. I thought it would have been genius, but they um didn't.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever think that Randy and Duncan should have had a romantic relationship?
0: Well, you know what I. I think part of what happened is that we did have a lot of chemistry and I think that, you know, for one thing, that wasn't clearly the direction they wanted to go was they didn't want that flirtation. And perhaps if I'd stayed on the show, that's something that could have happened down the road. But our scenes were just a lot of fun and we had a lot of chemistry. And so I think it was people felt that there was an energy there that should have been focused on his relationship with Alexandra Vandernut. You know what I mean? So I think there might have been some of that, too.
2: Yeah, I think that really comes through in Band of Brothers, the, the last appearance for your character. In that scene, I think that's the, you really do start to buy into the relationship between these characters having seen yeah. for, for for that long. So Yeah,
0: and then to have my character just disappear, like, oh my god, people were so upset, and, and, um, it, and I felt, you know, I was really, I loved doing that show, and it was just so unceremonious. Um, but I know that later on they got the kinks worked out, and I always kind of hoped they'd bring me back, but they didn't. Hmm. Maybe you can ask David Abram David Abramowitz if you ever talk to him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Why didn't he bring me back?
3: <laughs> well, I like that idea you mentioned of like Randy maybe writing stories about Duncan. Like <laughs> I could almost see like Randy writing like an Outlander style <laughs> series of books before they existed, like based <laughs> off Duncan's yes, life.
0: hundred percent. That's, 100%. That's yeah. exactly what my yeah. That's I a just fun idea. That been cool.
3: Yeah, I like that.
0: Because wouldn't it be neat if those people? Those wonderful writers that write things like the um you know even the hair you know j k Rowling or any of these people that I always think. What if they actually knew? What if they knew a truth we don't know and they're just disguising it as a novel? Does that make me sound crazy? Mm. I find that fascinating.
3: I, yeah, I think that's like a fun idea. Yeah, definitely. And like Duncan could be reading the story one episode and like smiling or something to himself. To-
0: couldn't you see him sitting at his desk sitting there reading it yeah. just like that wacky rant? Yeah, with like a little
3: little smirk on his face. Yeah, and something. then every now
0: yeah. and then he'd be like, you got that wrong. Yeah. yeah,
3: That would be good. Yeah,
0: We should redo it. Let's do it. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so, did anything crazy end up happening on the the set of Highlander? Do you have any stories cemented in your mind from the the shooting of the first season?
0: Well, there's a couple. Okay, first off, first one, and I can't remember what episode she was in, but Joan Jett did a guest star. Yeah. yeah.
3: <laughs>
0: and. I love Joan Jett and I had seen her, you know, in concert in Santa Monica, at the Santa Monica Civic back in the day. She performed there a couple of times. My sisters and I would go and, you know, freak out because there wasn't that many, uh, Chrissy Hind, but Joan Jett was, you know, especially for a young girl, it was just so cool to see somebody so beautiful be so raw and powerful. I just, I just loved, I loved her music. So she shows up on the set And I literally couldn't string two words together. (laughs) And so I remember she took me out to lunch and we chatted and had a nice lunch. And I just, she was so beautiful and she's so nice and smart. And I thought she did a really good job on the show too. And um, anyway, I just remember that because I remember, I think she took me out to lunch so I would stop freaking out. Because, like, I was like, oh, my God. It was just one of those things. Like, I just got tongue-tied around her, and I found, like, she was just somebody that I was excited to meet, and I didn't comport myself well at all. But anyway, I remember she took me out to lunch, and then we had a really beautiful lunch, and she was fascinating. She told me about – she told me a lot about herself. And it was just a – it was, like, one of those moments in time that I was like, oh, my God, only because of the Highlander am I sitting at lunch with my musical, this person – that I, you know, idolized. That was like one of my favorite things that happened just because it was so bizarre that that would be the conduit that I would meet Joan Jett. And, <laughs> but so many interesting people guest starred. And um, Joe Panalone with Joe, Joey Pants. Joe yeah. Joe Pant. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, I think it was Bad Medicine.
3: Yeah, you're right. No, yeah. See
0: No Evil. or Bad,
3: no, bad Medicine. medicine. Yeah. You got it.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, my God what a character what a lovely man just in love you know loves his family loves acting you know so such a talented human and fun and you know every night we'd be like can i buy you dinner can i you know like really like loved being around actors and talking acting and wow. uh, so what, is, what is
2: joey pants like in in real life
0: <laughs> oh my god he's just a character he's got great stories loves acting he's so smart loves his family. Um, he just is smart and funny and kind of old timey, like old timey actor, you know? And, um, and he's just a, he's just funny and fun. And, uh, I just remember when he had to carry me, he had to pick me up off the table, and I just kept thinking, oh, my God, I'm sorry. I feel like he's – I felt like I weighed more than he did. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, don't hurt yourself. And you can kind of see he's like, whoa. (laughs) (laughs) You weigh more than you look. Um, Very nice. Very nice. Yeah.
2: And yet, in that episode, he takes out Duncan with an IV. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I know. That He's was stronger a than he fun. looks.
0: Yeah. You know what? That was a little. That was one of those scenes that you went. I remember in. It was. And it was important to Joey Pants to do that correctly because it seemed a little far fetched. <laughs> you know, yeah. The hairs, the hairs, and so because he's such a consummate actor he was trying to he's like if i make it more wormy or slimy it'll <laughs> sneak in there you know what i mean like he was trying to find a way so it didn't look silly <laughs> uh, because you know and especially you know adrian was very protective of the highlander you know and how it was perceived and the character and stuff and but they worked it out i think to the best they could
2: so what are you up to now what's your what's uh well, in the hopper for you
0: Oh, my gosh. I like how you said that. Um, (laughs) I have a movie that we just had the premiere, but I don't know exactly when it's coming out called The Id. And it's um, it's really dark and disturbing. It's a thriller and um, it's kind of whatever happened to Baby Jane ish and definitely my role of a lifetime especially as a you know as a more you know mature woman um and um and then i have a horror film coming out called chelsea that is scarier than all get out it's about a little kid who is not what she appears to be. And I go to hell. Anyway, I get entwined (laughs) and I think that everything is fine and the whole movie is me thinking everything is fine. Anyway, and it's so scary. When I was reading the script, I gave it to my boyfriend and I was like, I just want you to read the last ten pages because I literally, like, screamed out loud. And um, he read, he was just like, whoa! And I was like, right? And he's like, you gotta do this. I was like, okay. And then... um, Um, That And I'm doing a web series Called Devil's Gate Which is really good And creepy about a place called Devil's Gate And I'm a crime scene photographer And so that's been really fun So apparently everything is Becoming sort of like thriller horror Themed so I've just decided Mm -hmm. that that I'm just going to like ride off Into the sunset as I'll get like to be like the crazier And crazier person (laughs) in the creepier (laughs) And creepier movies (laughs) So uh,
1: what's it like working on like a web series versus a tv show versus a movie like are they very different to work on
0: well they are and this one happens to be i mean you know i'm actually a part of two different web series one's called the division which is kind of 24 ish and um i play the senator's wife who's now about to become the first lady and it's it's everybody's evil and it's filled with intrigue. And so w- what I find about these two, the two web series is this. Well, first of all, Devil's Gate cuz that's a, the division we're not going back to that for a couple of months, but the Devil's Gate, they have a full crew. It's amazing. It's it's very young, enthusiastic people, uh, very professional. And so, in a way, it's, it's a smaller crew than, you know, a network TV show, but it was just as if uh, it was very efficient, not just as efficient, but it was efficient. And I didn't think full makeup, full special effects crew and all that stuff. So that, that I found really interesting. The division's a little bit more of a skeleton crew, I think depends on the enthusiasm and professionalness of the people doing it, because I've certainly been on, you know, I'm so spoiled from growing up in network television and major studio films where, you know, just everybody's mentored and there's a a strong sense of professionalism. And, um, you know, so sometimes in the independent film world, you have people that perhaps aren't properly mentored or don't really understand the process. That said, that has not happened to me on any of these independent the independent films i just mentioned and the two web series i just happen to fall in with a group of people who are you know very professional and stuff but it's definitely scaled down um and so it's you know it's it's, it's it presents different challenges but they're not always bad does that make sense
1: yeah definitely Ooh. so you yeah. talk about like professionalism on a, on a set how did how did you like acquaint yourself because uh, I, I believe i read you started as a stage actress yeah. Um, how, how did you find the transition from stage to screen? And were you familiar with kind of the, 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 ins and outs of, you know, making a film
0: kind of only because when I was a teenager, I, I had booked a bunch of, or a bunch, a handful of television uh, commercials. So I, I, I learned kind of, you know, I learned about the camera cause I was so young that the camera crew My very first commercial was a Pepsi commercial. They were so sweet. And they were like, okay, this is the camera. These are the lenses. This is is what the lenses mean. This is what it means when we say, you know, it's a choker. And they're like, you can be a little bit bigger on the long shots. You have to be more still in the close-ups. This is your light. This is how you find your light. So I had some in a really sort of obscure way through commercials, had some very nice people show me how how to be in front of a camera and how to maintain, um, they'll maintain my character. And then I just found an affinity for it. Like, I love being in front I love the camera I love the challenges of you know on stage where you have all the energy coming from the audience and everything is alive and in the moment and how to create that when that isn't happening which is on a sound stage and you've got you know people in the corner on their cell phones and, (laughs) and half the time you're talking to a piece of tape because they already released the actor you're talking to and how to just, you know, I don't know, sort of like download inside yourself the reality of what's happening. And it's actually my, I I love being in front of the camera. And I, I actually, I haven't been in a play in so long. Like I, somebody was talking to me about doing a play and I was like, I think I would be so scared. So I probably need to get back on stage, but I had really good training. And then my very first TV series I did was this show called When the Whistle Blows. And it was It was with Dolph Sweet, who was a big Broadway star and all these other actors. And uh, my first day on the set, you know, people were like, this is what you're going to do. This is where you sit. And so I had, because I was so young, so I had some very strong mentors and actually people just bossing me around. But they taught me (laughs) certain things that were really, like, I, Eleanor Donahue taught me how to rest in your trailer without messing up your wardrobe and hair. Not kidding. And you can do it. (laughs) And so like, there's all these things that, you know, that sort of way of life is dying. So I think younger actors it's a whole different world we used to sit in you know on the sound stage and all the actors sat together and talked about their plays and all the old you learned from the older actors and everybody shared stories and now everybody sits in their dressing room talking on their cell phone so you don't have that interaction anymore or or learning or kind of having people you admire tell you stories or things like that and I think that's actually um To the detriment of, I think, sort of developing as an artist in a way. Does that make sense? Oh, definitely. Absolutely. I
2: mean, you told us a lot about kind of the mentoring process and how that separates you know, some of the larger studio productions, who were your mentors that that got you to where you are?
0: Oh my gosh. I don't know that anybody ever like took me by the hand and was like, you know, I want to teach you things, but they're certainly on set. I learned by watching and people sharing stories with me. Dolph Sweet was obviously one of them. Robert Mitchum on a movie I did with him he taught me um he was incredibly authoritative and powerful and yet the kindest most we're all in this together person that you know in order to create good energy in a scene nobody can feel separate and apart or um and and he would do things like he would walk on the set and you know it was like robert mitchum who even as an older gentleman was so handsome and oh my god but he would say things like may I get anyone a cup of coffee I'm walking over to get coffee and this stuff because he wanted you to be open around him so you weren't freaked out in front of the camera and I learned a lot about that about that um, you know that sometimes the most authoritative person isn't carrying a big stick and freaking everybody out on the set it's about that it's an inner authority that you carry with you no matter how, you know, and then you can still be, behave kindly to people. And, oh my God, there's so many. my I just like, especially when I was younger, that I got to work with so many, even Marie Saint, um, who just was... She was, like, one of the kindest, funniest people, Sharon Gless. She was incredibly, like, powerful and authoritative and would sit and tell me these wonderful stories because I played her niece a couple episodes on Cagney and Lacey. And she, you know, is just like a powerhouse of a woman. And so there were these people that just taught me by their behavior and things they shared with me how to grow up in the business and how, how one can and should really behave on a set so that you actually are delivering the best product or the, the most truthful, uh, performance. Cause that's the reason we're there, you know, it's to like, try to help bring the words to life in the most truthful manner and be camera savvy enough to know that the camera catches everything you need it to see so that you can help tell the story. And so I I had some really good, I'll say mentors, you know, along the way with that.
2: So to leap back into Highlander uh, for a moment. So Stan Kirsch... Provides a lot of comic relief on the show. Richie Ryan for, for people at home. Uh, what was it like working with him? What's uh, the dynamic on the set with him?
0: Okay, he was so adorable and earnest and funny. And he was, you know, especially those first couple episodes, everybody was just trying to find their footing. Alexandra Vandernit was. every, Not in a bad way, just... You know, whenever you're on a new show, you don't have that feeling of like, oh, I know what's going to happen now. I know what my character does. Everybody was still trying to find out. And, you know, and he had to be the, you know, the Robin to his Batman. And I think, you know, he had to, it took a couple episodes, I think, for him to feel, I mean, I'm speaking for him. I actually have no idea what he felt. Look at, <laughs> like, I'm like, yeah, you know, Stan and I are like this. But, you know, I think everybody was just trying to find their footing. And I thought he was adorable and wonderful. And he brought such a nice lightness to you know because the Highlander is a very heavy story and and the moments of levity are wonderful and I think because he was so earnest and young you know you every episode you were like is he gonna make it through this because he doesn't have you know he's He's, he was like an innocent, and he was the light to the dark, and I thought he did a really good job. And But I do think everybody had a few episodes of just trying to find their footing. I mean, I, except for Adrian Paul. He just, like, was born to be the Highlander. He was just like, done, got it. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: and I, But I forged a friendship with Alexandra that lasted beyond me being on the show. And she was so sweet and worked so hard and truly one of the most gorgeous human beings I've ever met in my entire life.
3: Well, speaking of Highlanders still, um, <clears throat> we were curious – would you want to be immortal? And if you were, what, what would you do?
0: Holy mackerel. Okay, I would like to be immortal as long as it was at my most <laughs> 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 Um, You know what? I don't think I'd want to be immortal. I mean, just because I love those stories so much and they suffer so much, I just feel like I think suffering in one lifetime is enough. But if I was immortal, I would want to figure out some way to ward off, you know, diseases and things like that. I know that's where. You probably wouldn't be able to change history, but I would want to do good, like find some way to protect humanity. But then that wouldn't be good because then everybody'd live forever, and that wouldn't work either. So I, don't <laughs> hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I don't. What would you guys want to do?
3: Oh, that's a good question. Oh, that is a good question.
0: Would you? Would you? Would you guys want to be immortal? Absolutely, yes.
2: I'm, <laughs> I'm going and with that right. But I might yeah. regret that like 300 years from now. But speaking now. <laughs> I would say absolutely yes. And actually, I think that kind of the the kind of scholarly professions are really interesting for an immortal because you have all these – you actually have firsthand knowledge of various historical events and things like that. I actually think being something like a journalist or a historian or something like that would be – kind of an archaeologist archeolo- yeah,
0: yeah, like be because you'd be like i was actually here when before we had to dig it up yeah. <laughs> yeah,
2: like in in 2200 someone digging up the husk of an iphone being like well actually
1: yeah
0: i know really that, that's an iphone 6 whoops yeah <laughs> okay what about you guys immortal or not immortal
1: um yeah, I, I think I would definitely uh, side with immortality. I agree with that, like the academic pursuits. I come from kind of an academic background, so I really love like research. I would love to be a historian, or I would also just love to travel the world. I feel like I would just move around the world and live in different places for you know 50 years here, 50 years there, and just learn about humanity and what makes us us.
3: Do I want to be immortal? I I don't know. I I, I don't know. I think it's kind of. A double-edged thing, so it's not a definite yes for me. If I was immortal, I think I agree with Keith. I would like to travel, and I just like to learn how to do as many things as I possibly Uh, could—music, languages, different foods, cooking. Uh, I think it would just be that pursuit of knowledge.
2: Yeah, and I definitely agree with your point. If I could, if I could be immortal as I am now, right? Yeah, I I would be. I'd be game for that. Like, (laughs) if if it was like sixty-year-old Kyle, like you know, <laughs> he's know, got a like, bum oh, knee. I might be yeah, you're
0: like, Oh, my bursitis for 300 <laughs> more years. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you know what? I think I like the idea of traveling and the academic pursuits. If that was, as long as I wasn't in jeopardy for the entire time, you know what I mean? Like, right, right. I don't, I feel like how like the Highlander was constantly having to, he was in jeopardy. Like how stressful is that? His adrenal, he was like always in fight or flight.
2: Yeah. I suppose uh, if, if the fear of decapitation is real, right. suddenly immortality is less attractive. <laughs> I don't often worry about getting my head cut off in my day-to-day life, but exactly. <laughs> yeah. That... What
0: was your favorite episode of mine? That and tell me why.
2: Uh, I really like. I actually, I think the Band of Brothers episode is first off one of the the best episodes of the season. But I think that's one of the episodes where the the relationship between you and Adrian Paul kind of feels the most natural. It's not necessarily adversarial the way some of the earlier interactions yeah. are. And I think yeah. you actually see some like kind of sweet moments in that episode, and I think that's kind of a, a a real bonus for for that part of the first season.
3: And you're you're there's a scene with you and Duncan in the car in that episode like you're hiding in his car like waiting for him to come back and that's just a really Mm -hmm. fun interaction and I think part of that chemistry you were talking about does come through there uh so that's a fun one I mean see no evil I thought that was another good one because well that started a thread that we thought you and um Alexander Vander were going to kind of solve the mystery on that episode we were kind of hoping that was going to be a Randy and Tess episode and it, it didn't end up being that way but that that had some potential that I was I was hoping would just be kind of your guys and maybe Richie solving the mystery. So uh, yeah, I, I liked that one, but I, I kind of wish you two solved it instead of. I mean, I guess they always had to bring bring Mac in to solve the mystery because that's the show. But right,
2: yeah. <laughs> right. But it seemed like it was really setting up this kind of you and Tess kind of moxie episode. Yeah, yeah.
1: I think one of my favorites uh, that you were in was actually Eyewitness. Um, I I like uh, the the arc your character goes through in that because I think it's the first time... uh, It's not like the... uh Uh, It's not, like, the most flattering Randy episode, I suppose, uh, because Tess, I guess, questions your motives. But I I like that it it brings out, like, a different side of you. uh, And I think it makes your character confront some stuff that she doesn't confront before. And I think that's uh, some good character development on that end.
0: Wow, you guys are so awesome. Thank you. You know what? I have to say again, it's truly... One of the saddest things that that of my career, like, and and I say it all the time when people ask me, like, what what you know, because I always ask the actors, like, what's your you know what thing disappointed you the most? I'm like being let go from Highlander, Aww. and not really knowing 100 percent why and why they didn't bring me back, and because, and except everybody just saying, oh, it's not you, it's a thing, and I'm like, oh, whoa, wait, but I love my favorite is Band of Brothers, and um, and then. And, and by the way, filming that, I did not know it was my last episode.
2: Oh, oh yeah, because it does seem you mentioned that it was kind of unceremonious. Yeah, it seemed because nothing about it reads as though your character isn't coming back. Like I was expecting to, you know, it's like, oh, they're going to Paris for a little bit. They'll be back. And right. You know, yeah. and bump yeah. into Randy again.
1: Oh, uh, did did the rest of the cast know about you leaving the show? And did you did you guys do anything uh, like for your for your departure?
0: No, I, I just, I, I did that episode, I went back to L.A., and I was, then they just called. Oh, so like, it was oh. much later, yeah. Yeah, we didn't, I didn't, I just didn't get, um, I just, so I never said goodbye to anybody or anything like that. Okay. Except for Alex, Al, Alexandra and I stayed in touch.
1: Oh, good. Do, do you yeah. stay in touch with anyone else from the show?
0: No, no. In fact, I lo- I actually lost touch with Alexandra, um, who, again, is just the sweetest person um no i haven't i haven't stayed in touch but then i'll find like people say like oh i saw adrian at so-and-so and and i mentioned you or whatever so you know who knows someday Hmm. i'll cross paths with him because you know at a comic-con or something right right
1: (laughs) um so how can fans uh connect with you today do you have a twitter facebook all that sort of stuff
0: i do i'm underscore amanda wiss on twitter um i'm on instagram I'm on, um, I have a fan page on Facebook. Okay. It- And then I have a website that links to all that, and it's just amandawist.com. Yeah, and it has lots of fun things about, like, you know, Comic-Cons I'll go to or, you know, horror conventions for Nightmare on Elm Street or, um, you know, and also then a lot of the Comic-Cons, Highlander people, and it makes me so happy.
1: Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Amanda, for uh, joining us in another episode of Highlander Rewatch. I've been one of your hosts, Keith. This is Kyle.
3: This is Eamon. And
1: if you want to learn more about Amanda Wiss, uh, make sure to check her out on Twitter or on Instagram at underscore Amanda Wiss. Um, And also make sure to check her out at her upcoming appearances and follow her on her website and Facebook. Um, Again, Amanda, thank you so much for joining us. This was really a treat to talk to you about your experiences on Highlander. Um, And we can't wait to check out your upcoming movies, uh, The Id, uh, Chelsea, and the web series Devil's Gate. So I'm really excited to see you uh, on the screen.
0: Thank you so much for having me. You gentlemen are lovely.
2: (laughs) We think so, too.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much, Amanda Wiss.
3: It's been a pleasure. My
0: pleasure. You guys are lovely. Thank you for taking me back to a show that I loved with all my heart. It was it was really special, so thank you. Oh you're great.
3: welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. This was right. great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have a Talk great day. You
0: bye. You too. Bye bye. See ya. <laughs> bye.
3: Oh. I'm the worst. <laughs> uh,